From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Saturday morning session of the 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers are selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Members and officers of the church gather from all areas of the world to receive counsel and instruction from their church leaders. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, First Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Saturday morning session of the 185th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As we open this session of conference, we note the passing of President Boyd K. Packer, Elder L. Tom Perry, and most recently Elder Richard G. Scott of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. We miss them. Each of these brethren gave his all in the service of the Lord and is undoubtedly engaged in this great work on the other side of the veil. We express our love and heartfelt condolences to the Packer, Perry, and Scott families. You are in our prayers. This morning we welcome and acknowledge the General Authorities and the general officers who will be in attendance throughout the conference and likewise express gratitude to members and friends participating in the conference throughout the world. The music for this session will be by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy with Clay Christiansen at the organ. The choir opened this meeting with Press Forward Saints and will now favor us with Guide us, O Thou Great Jehovah. The invocation will then be offered by Sister Mary R. Durham, Second Counselor in the Primary General Presidency, after which the choir will sing, I know that my Savior loves me.
Our dear, kind Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be gathered this day all over the world as we strive to be true followers of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, who shows us the way, the truth, and the light. We are so grateful for our prophet, Thomas S. Monson. We pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to the Holy Ghost that will teach us all things that we must know and do. We pray that we will be united as one to take the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world, that all may receive their ordinances and covenants that lead us back to Thee. We say these things most humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
We will now be pleased to hear from President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, Second Counselor in the First Presidency. He will be followed by Elder M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, Elder Richard J. Maines of the Presidency of the Seventy will then address us. My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear friends, it's a joy to be with you today. We're saddened by the sight of three empty places here on the stand. We do miss President Packer, Elder Perry, and Elder Scott. We love them and we pray for their well-being of their families. During this conference weekend, we will be privileged to sustain three who have been called by the Lord to take their place among the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Your prayers, our prayers on their behalf, will strengthen them as they bear the sacred mantle of apostleship. Not long ago, I saw a quote that made me stop and think. It went like this. Tell a man there are trillions of stars in the universe and he'll believe you. Tell him there's white paint on the wall and he'll touch it just to be sure. (laughs) Aren't we all a little bit like this? After a recent medical procedure, my very capable doctors explained what I needed to do to heal properly. But first I had to relearn something about myself I should have known for a long time. As a patient, I'm not very patient. Consequently, I decided to expedite the healing process by undertaking my own internet search. I suppose I expected to discover truth of which my doctors were unaware or had tried to keep from me. It took me a little while before I realized the irony of what I was doing. Of course, researching these things for ourselves is not a bad idea, but I was disregarding truth I could rely on and instead found myself being drawn to the often outlandish claims of Internet lore. Sometimes the truth may just seem too straightforward, too plain, and too simple for us to fully appreciate its great value. So we set aside what we have experienced and know to be true in pursuit of more mysterious or complicated information. Hopefully, we will learn quickly that when we chase after shadows, we are pursuing matters that have little substance and value. When it comes to spiritual truth, how can we know that we are on the right path? One way is by asking the right questions. 
the kind that help us ponder our progress and evaluate how things are working for us. Questions like, does my life have meaning? Do I believe in God? Do I believe that God knows and loves me? Do I believe that God hears and answers my prayers? Am I truly happy? Are my efforts leading me to the highest spiritual goals and values in life? Profound questions regarding the purpose of life have led many individuals and families throughout the world to search for truth. Often that search has led them to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to the restored gospel. I wonder if we, as church members, might also benefit from asking ourselves from time to time, is my experience in the church working for me? Is it bringing me closer to Christ? Is it blessing me and my family with peace and joy as promised in the gospel? Alma posed similar questions to the church members in Zarahemla when he asked, Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? And can you feel it now? Such contemplation may help us to refocus or realign our daily efforts with the divine plan of salvation. Many members will answer with great warmth that their experience as a member of the Church is working exceptionally well for them. They will testify that whether during times of poverty or prosperity, whether things are pleasant or painful, they find great meaning peace, and joy because of their commitment to the Lord and their dedicated service in the Church. Every day I meet Church members who are filled with a radiant joy and who demonstrate in word and in deed that their lives are immeasurable enriched by the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also recognize that there are some who have a less than fulfilling experience, who feel that their membership in the Church sometimes isn't quite what they had hoped for. This saddens me, because I know firsthand how the Gospel can invigorate and renew one's spirit, how it can fill our hearts with hope and our minds with light. I know for myself how the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform lives from the ordinary and dreary to the extraordinary and sublime. But why does it seem to work better for some than for others? What is the difference between those whose experience and the church fills their souls with songs of redeeming love? and those who feel something is lacking. As I have pondered these questions, a flood of thoughts came to mind. Today, I'd like to share two. First, are we making our discipleship too complicated? 
This beautiful gospel is so simple a child can grasp it, yet so profound and complex that it will take a lifetime, even an eternity, of study and discovery to fully understand it. But sometimes we take the beautiful lily of God's truth and gild it with layers upon layers of man-made good ideas, programs, and expectations. Each one by itself might be helpful and appropriate for a certain time and circumstance. But when they are laid on top of each other, they can create a mountain of sediment that becomes so thick and heavy that we risk losing sight of that precious flower we once loved so dearly. Therefore, as leaders, we must strictly protect the Church and the Gospel in its purity and plainness and avoid putting unnecessary burdens on our members. And all of us, as members of the Church, we need to make a conscientious effort to devote our energy and time to the things that truly matter while uplifting our fellow man and building the kingdom of God. One lovely sister, a Relief Society instructor, was known for preparing flawless lessons. One time, she decided to create a beautiful quilt that would serve as the perfect backdrop to the theme of her lesson. But life intervened. There were children to pick up from school, a neighbor who needed help moving, a husband with a fever, and a friend who felt lonely. So the day of the lesson approached, and the quilt was not completed. Finally, the night before the, her lesson, she did not sleep much as she worked all night on the quilt. The next day, she was exhausted and barely able to organize her thoughts, but she bravely stood and delivered her perfect lesson. And the quilt was stunning. The stitches were perfect, the colors vibrant, and the sign intricate. And at the center of it all was a single word that triumphantly echoed the theme of her lesson. Simplify. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, living the gospel doesn't need to be complicated. It is really straightforward. It could be described like this. Hearing the word of God with earnest intent leads us to believe in God and to trust his promises. The more we trust God, the more our hearts are filled with love for him and for each other. Because of our love for God, we desire to follow him and bring our actions in alignment with his word. Because we love God, we want to serve Him. We want to bless the lives of others and help the poor and the needy. The more we walk in this path of discipleship, the more we desire to learn the Word of God. And so it goes. 
each step leading to the next, and filling us with ever-increasing faith, hope, and charity. It is beautifully simple, and it works beautiful. Brothers and sisters, if you ever think that the gospel isn't working so well for you, I invite you to step back, look at your life from a higher plane, and simplify your approach to discipleship. Focus on the basic doctrines, principles, and applications of the gospel. I promise that God will guide and bless you on your path to a fulfilling life, and the gospel will definitely work better for you. My second suggestion is start where you are. Sometimes we feel discouraged because we are not more of something. More spiritual, more respected, more intelligent, healthy, more rich, more friendly, or capable. Naturally, there is nothing wrong with wanting to improve. God created us to grow and progress. But remember, our weaknesses can help us to be humble and turn us to Christ, who will make weak things become strong. Satan, on the other hand, uses our weaknesses to the point that we're discouraged from even trying. I learned in my life that we don't need to be more of anything to start to become the person God intended us to become. God will take you as you are at this very moment and begin to work with you as you need and all you need is really a willing heart, a desire to believe, and trust in the Lord. Gideon saw himself as a poor farmer, the least of his father's house, but God saw him as a mighty man of valor. When Samuel chose Saul, to be king, Saul tried to talk him out of it. Saul was from one of the smallest tribes of the house of Israel. How could he be king? But God saw him as a choice young man. Even the great prophet Moses felt so overwhelmed and discouraged at one point that he wanted to give up and die. But God did not give up on Moses. My dear brothers and sisters, if we look at us only through our mortal eyes, we may not see ourselves as good enough. But our Heavenly Father sees us as who we truly are and who we can become. He sees us as His sons and daughters, as beings of eternal light with an everlasting potential and with a divine destiny. The Savior's sacrifice opened the door of salvation for all to return to God. His grace is sufficient for all who humble themselves before God. His grace is the enabling power that allows access into God's kingdoms of salvation. Because of His grace, we will all be resurrected and saved in a kingdom of glory. Even the lowest kingdom of glory, the celestial kingdom, surpasses all understanding and numberless people will inherit this salvation. 
But the Savior's grace can do much more for us. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we aspire to something unimaginable greater. It is exaltation in the celestial kingdom. It is life eternal in the presence of our Father in heaven. It is the greatest gift of God. In the celestial kingdom we receive of his fullness and of of his glory. Indeed, all that the Father hath shall be given unto us. Exaltation is our goal. Discipleship is our journey. As you exercise a little faith and begin your walk as a peaceable follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, your heart will change. Your whole being will be filled with light. God will, will help you become something greater than you ever thought possible. And you will discover that the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed working in your life. It works. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, I pray that we will focus on the simplicity that is in Christ and allow his grace to lift and carry us during our journey from here, from where we are right now, to our glorious destiny in our Father's presence. As we do so, and someone will ask us, How is being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints working for you? We will be able to say with pride and in all humility and with great joy, it works. It works wonderfully. Thank you for asking. Would you like to know more? This is my hope my prayer, my testimony, and my blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last general conference in October, uh, I invited the listeners to uh, follow Brigham Young's counsel and stay on the old ship Zion which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and to hold on with both hands. Since then, I'm happy to know that some of my family and others were listening and have asked me this question. What's in the old ship Zion that we should hang on to? I reminded them of what President Young said. We're on the old ship Zion. God is at the helm and will stay there. He dictates, guides, and directs. If the people will have implicit confidence in their God, never forsake their covenants, nor their God, he will guide us right. Clearly, our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have outfitted the old ship Zion with clear and simple eternal truths that will help us stay the course through the troubled waters of mortal life. Here are just a few. The Church of Jesus Christ has always been led by living prophets and apostles. 
Though mortal and subject to human imperfection, the Lord's servants are inspired to help us avoid obstacles that are spiritually life-threatening and to help us pass safely through mortality to our final, ultimate, heavenly destination. During my nearly 40 years of close association, I have been a personal witness as both quiet inspiration and profound revelation have moved to action the prophets and apostles, the general authorities, and the auxiliary leaders. While neither perfect nor infallible, these good men and women have been perfectly dedicated to leading the work of the Lord forward as He has directed. And make no mistake about it, the Lord directs His Church through living prophets and apostles. This is the way He has always done His work. Indeed, the Savior taught, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. We cannot separate Christ from his, his servants. Without His first apostles, we would not have an eyewitness account of many of His teachings, His ministry, His suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, and His death on the cross. Without their testimonies, we would not have an apostolic witness of the empty tomb and the resurrection. He commanded those first apostles, Go ye, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This commission has been renewed in our own day with the Lord when the Lord called Joseph Smith to restore the Church with ordained apostles to declare his gospel one last time before he will come again. It has always been a challenge for the world to accept living prophets and apostles, but it is so essential to do so in order to fully understand the Atonement and the teachings of Jesus Christ and to, to receive a fullness of the blessings of the priesthood that follow those He has called. Too many people think Church leaders and members should be perfect or nearly perfect. They forget that the Lord's grace is sufficient to accomplish His work through mortals. Our leaders have the best intentions, but sometimes we make mistakes. This is not unique to Church leadership or relationships, as the same thing occurs in our relationships among friends, neighbors, and workplace associates, and even between spouses and in families. Looking for human weakness in others is rather easy. However, we make a serious mistake by noticing only the human nature of one another and then failing to see God's hand working through those He has called. Focusing on how the Lord inspires His chosen leaders and how He moves the saints to do remarkable and extraordinary things despite their humanity is one way 
that we hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and stay safely aboard the old ship Zion. A second truth is the doctrine of the plan of salvation. Through the prophet Joseph Smith, God gave the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and many additional teachings to the Church. These include a knowledge of the plan of salvation, which is a map of where we came from, our purpose here on earth, and where we are going when we die. The plan also provides us with a unique eternal perspective that we are God's spirit children. By understanding who our Heavenly Father is and our relationship to Him and to His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we will accept their commandments and make covenants with them that will lead us back into their eternal presence. Every time I hold a newborn child, I find myself wondering, Who are you, little one? What will become you become through the Atonement of Christ? We ask similar reflective questions when someone we love dies. Where are they? What are they seeing and experiencing? Does life continue? What will be the nature of our most cherished relationships in the great world of the spirits of the dead? In that world, our family has two granddaughters, Sarah and Emily, and a grandson, Nathan. With each child's passing, we as a family held on to the gospel truths with both hands. Our questions were answered with comfort and assurance through the Atonement of the Savior. Although we miss our grandchildren, we know they live and we know we will see them again. How grateful we are for this spiritual understanding in times of personal and familial turbulence. Another key truth in the Church is that Heavenly Father created Adam and Eve for a lofty purpose. It was their charge and subsequently the charge of their posterity to create mortal bodies for God's spirit children so they could experience mortality. By this process, Heavenly Father sends His spirit children to earth to learn and grow through the experiences of earth life. Because He loves His children, God sends heavenly messengers and apostles to teach them about Christ's central role as our Savior. Through the centuries, prophets have fulfilled their duties when they have warned people of the dangers before them. The Lord's apostles are duty-bound to watch, warn, and reach out to help those seeking answers to life's questions. Twenty years ago, the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles issued the family a proclamation to the world. In that inspired document, we concluded with just the following words. We warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, or who fail to fulfill family responsibilities, will one day stand accountable before God. Further, we warn that the disintegration of the family 
will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. The apostles as fossils today, we reaffirm this solemn warning. Please remember that commandments and covenants are priceless truths and doctrines found in the old ship Zion, where God is at the helm. Another important doctrine that we should cling to is to observe the Sabbath day. This helps us remain unspotted from the world, provides us with physical rest, and gives each of us the spiritual refreshment of worshiping the Father and the Son every Sunday. When we delight in the Sabbath day, it is a sign of our love for them. As part of our efforts to make the Sabbath a delight, we have asked local leaders and Church members to remember that sacrament meeting is the Lord's and should be rooted and grounded in His teachings. The presentation of the ordinance of the sacrament is when we renew our covenants and reconfirm our love for the Savior and remember His sacrifice and His Atonement. This same spirit of worship should permeate our monthly fast and testimony meetings. This sacrament meeting is for members to briefly express gratitude, love, and appreciation for our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the restored gospel, and to bear personal witness of these things. Fast and testimony meeting is a time to share brief inspirational thoughts and bear solemn testimony. It is not a time to give a speech. Young children should practice sharing their testimonies in primary and with their parents in family home evening uh, until they understand the important meaning of a testimony. The recent, recent emphasis of making the Sabbath a delight is a direct result of inspiration of, from the Lord through the leaders of the Church. Ward Council members should assist the bishoprics several weeks in advance by reviewing music and topics that have been recommended for each sacrament meeting. All of us are blessed when the Sabbath is filled with love for the Lord at home and at church. When our children are taught in the ways of the Lord, they learn to feel and to respond to His Spirit. We will all desire to attend each Sunday to partake of the sacrament when we feel the Spirit of the Lord. And all young and old who are carrying heavy burdens will feel the spiritual uplift and comfort that comes from Sabbath day of devoted contemplation of our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, Christ is always near, waiting and willing to help us when we pray for help and are willing to repent and come unto Him. Now, as we ponder just these few truths that exist within the old ship Zion, let us stay on board and remember that by definition, a ship is a vehicle, that the purpose of a vehicle is to take us to a destination. 
Our ship's destination is the full blessings of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, the celestial glory, and the presence of God. God's plan is in place. He is at the helm, and his great and powerful ship flows toward salvation and exaltation. Remember, we cannot reach there by jumping out of the boat and trying to swim there by ourselves. Exaltation is the goal of this mortal journey, and no one gets there without the means of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his atonement, the ordinances, and the guiding doctrine and principles that are found in the Church. It is the Church wherein we learn the works of God and accept the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. It is within the Church that we form commitments and covenants of eternal families and become our, that become our passport to exaltation. It is the Church that is powered by the priesthood to propel us through the unpredictable waters of mortality. Let us be grateful for the beautiful old ship Zion, for without it we are cast adrift, alone, and powerless, swept along without rudder or oar, swirling with the strong currents of the adversary's wind and waves. Hold tight, brothers and sisters. Sail on within the glorious ship, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we will reach our eternal destination. This is my testimony and prayer for all of us. In the name of He for whom the old ship Zion is named, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. The world in which we live is putting great pressure on good people everywhere to lower or even abandon their standards of righteous living. However, despite the evils and temptations that surround us each day, we can and will find true joy today in living a Christ-centered life. Centering our lives in Jesus Christ and His gospel will bring stability and happiness to our lives, as the following examples illustrate. Elder Taichi Aoba of the Seventy, who resides in a small mountain village in Shikoku, Japan, was asked to teach a class at a youth conference. Stand Ye in Holy Places was selected as the theme of the conference. After considering the theme and what to teach, Elder Aoba decided to use his vocation as a teaching tool. His work is making pottery. Elder Oba relates that his classroom of youth really sprang to life when they saw how he was able to almost magically transform the shape of the clay in his hands to plates, bowls, and cups. After his demonstration, he asked them if any of them would like to give it a try. They all raised their hands. Elder Oba had several of the youth come forward to try out their new interest. They assumed after watching him that this would be quite simple. However, none of them were successful in their attempts to make even a simple bowl. They proclaimed, I can't do this. Why is this so hard? This is so difficult. These comments took place as the clay flew all around the room. 
He asked the youth why they were having such difficulty making pottery. They responded with various answers. I don't have any experience. I have never been trained, or I have no talent. Based on the result, what they said was all true. However, the most important reason for their failure was due to the clay not being centered on the wheel. The youth had thought that they had placed the clay in the center, but from a professional's perspective, it wasn't in the exact center. He then told them, let's try this one more time. This time, Elder Oba placed the clay in the exact center of the wheel and then started to turn the wheel, making a hole in the middle of the clay. Several of the youth tried again. This time, everyone started clapping when they say, Wow, it's not shaking. I can do this, or I did it. Of course, the shapes weren't perfect, but the outcome was totally different than the first attempt. The reason for their success was because the clay was perfectly centered on the wheel. The world in which we live is similar to the potter's spinning wheel, and the speed of that wheel is increasing. Like the clay on the potter's wheel, we must be centered as well. Our core, the center of our lives, must be Jesus Christ and His gospel. Living a Christ-centered life means we learn about Jesus Christ and His gospel, and then we follow His example and keep His commandments with exactness. The ancient prophet Isaiah stated, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, thou art art the potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. If our lives are centered in Jesus Christ, he can successfully mold us into who we need to be in order to return to his and Heavenly Father's presence in the celestial kingdom. The joy we experience in this life will be in direct proportion to how well our lives are centered on the teachings, example, and atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I was born into a multi-generational LDS family, so the blessings and joy of having the gospel of Jesus Christ as the basis of our family culture was woven into our everyday life. It wasn't until my full-time mission as a young man that I realized the incredibly positive impact the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has on those who never previously experienced its blessings in their lives. This verse in Matthew reflects the process that people who are converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ experience. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me share with you an example from the Book of Mormon that illustrates what one convert was willing to pay in order to receive the joy associated with finding the treasure spoken of by Jesus in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Remember in the Book of Alma, chapter 20, Ammon and Lamoni were traveling to the city of Madoni for the purpose of finding and delivering Ammon's brother Aaron out of prison. During their journey, they encountered Lamoni's father, who was the Lamanite king over all the land. The king was very upset that his son Lamoni was traveling with Ammon, a Nephite missionary, whom he considered an enemy. He felt his son should have attended a great feast he had sponsored for his sons and his people. 
The Lamanite king was so upset that he commanded his son Lamoni to slay Ammon with his sword. When Lamoni refused, the king drew his own sword to slay his son for disobedience. However, Ammon interceded to save Lamoni's life. He ultimately overpowered the king and could have killed him. This is what the king said to Ammon, finding himself in this life-and-death situation. If thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even to half of the kingdom. So the king was willing to pay the price of one half his kingdom in order to spare his own life. The king must have been astonished when Ammon requested only that he release his brother Aaron and his associates from prison and that his son Lamoni retain his kingdom. Later on, due to this encounter, Ammon's brother Aaron was released from the Madonai prison. After his release, he was inspired to travel where the Lamanite king ruled over the land. Aaron was introduced to the king and had the privilege of teaching him the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the great plan of redemption. The teachings of Aaron inspired the king deeply. The king's response to Aaron's teaching is found in verse 15 of Alma chapter 22. And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. Amazingly enough, in contrast to giving up one half his kingdom to spare his life, the Lamanite king was now willing to give up his entire kingdom that he might receive the joy that comes from understanding, accepting, and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. My wife, Nancy, is also a convert to the Church. She has mentioned to me many times over the years the joy she has felt in her life since finding, accepting, and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. What follows is a reflection from Sister Maines on her experience. As a young adult in my early 20s, I was at a point in my life when I knew I needed to change something in order to be a happier person. I felt like I was adrift with no real purpose and direction, and I didn't know where to go to find it. I had always known that Heavenly Father existed, and occasionally through my life it said prayers, feeling that He listened. As I began my search, I attended several different churches, but would always fall back into the same feelings and discouragement. I feel very blessed because my prayer for direction and purpose in life was ultimately answered, and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ was brought into my life. For the first time, I felt like I had a purpose, and the plan of happiness brought real joy into my life. Another experience from the Book of Mormon clearly illustrates how living a Christ-centered life can fill us with great happiness even when surrounded with incredible hardships. After the prophet Lehi and his family left Jerusalem in 600 B.C., 
They wandered approximately eight years in the wilderness until they finally arrived in a land they called Bountiful, which was near the seashore. Nephi describes their life of tribulation in the wilderness this way. We had suffered many afflictions and much difficulty, even so much that we cannot write them all. While living in Bountiful, Nephi is charged by the Lord with the responsibility to build a ship which would take them across the sea to the Promised Land. After arriving in the Promised Land, great conflicts continued to arise between the people who centered their lives in Christ and the non-believers who followed the examples of Laman and Lemuel. Ultimately, the risk of violence between the two groups was so great that Nephi and those who followed the teachings of the Lord separated themselves and fled into the wilderness for safety. At this point in time, some thirty years after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem, Nephi makes a well-documented and somewhat surprising statement, especially after recording in the scriptures the many afflictions and tribulations they had faced for so long. These are his words, And it came to pass that we did live after the manner of happiness. Despite their hardships, they were able to live after the manner of happiness because they were centered in Christ and His gospel. Brothers and sisters, like the clay on the potter's wheel, our lives must be centered with exactness in Christ if we are to find true joy and peace in this life. The examples of the Lamanite king, my wife Nancy, and the Nephite people all support this true principle. I bear you my witness today that we, too, can find that peace, that happiness, that true joy if we choose to live Christ-centered lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. On a signal from the conductor, The congregation will stand and join the choir in singing, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet. After the singing, we will hear from Sister Neil F. Marriott, Second Counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. She will be followed by Elders Larry R. Lawrence and Francisco J. Venus of the Seventy. Following their remarks, the choir will sing, Precious Savior, Dear Redeemer. General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City, 